As a listener of the Shift Your Consciousness podcast presented by Marcus White and Jordan Briggs, we would like you to understand that this podcast is for educational purposes only and is not medical advice. Any changes to your supplementation, nutrition or lifestyle should only be done after consulting with a medical professional. Welcome to the Shift Your Consciousness podcast. My name is Marcus White. And my name is Jordan Briggs. We help people overcome a range of chronic and acute health issues and empower people to live a healthy, fulfilling life. Our mission in this podcast is to bring oppressed and current relevant information from all realms of health that you most likely don't know to empower new possibilities in your health journey. We want to help free your mind of the indoctrination of the mainstream medical system, media and societal dogma that disempowers your ability to heal, grow and live a connected life. If you're someone who is feeling trapped in your journey, not getting answers, but also equally fascinated in learning how to address the root cause to your health issues and is also open-minded to all mediums of health, this podcast is for you. So come join us to shift your consciousness. Alright guys, we're back for another episode of Shift Your Consciousness podcast and today uh, we have another superstar of the health and wellness space uh, with us. He's one of Jordan and I's mentors. He's the founder of the Institute of Health. Um, if you follow him on Instagram, some of the information that this man is able to come up with and um, bring to the world is actually phenomenal. Um, he's one of the better minds that I've been able to listen to. I actually still can't believe how, how much information you retain, mate. But um, yeah, it's, it's my <laughs> it's, it's my <laughs> it's my pleasure to um, welcome Jay Carter to the podcast. How are you, mate? Thank you, guys. I really appreciate that. And yeah, I'm uh, awesome. Thank you. And uh, I really am looking forward to this talk with you guys today. I appreciate both of you deeply on a professional and personal level. So I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. No, firstly, I just want to jump into man, and just say a special thanks to you because you've been a massive impact to my life. And um, obviously, I've been with the Institute of Health for a couple of years now, I think it is. And mm-hmm. it's been an, an absolute pleasure, man. Um, my business and my life wouldn't be where it is today uh, if it wasn't for you. So thank you. Thank you, man. Thank you. Yeah. Appreciate it. Thanks, Jake. Um, like we love to just um, well, oh, sorry, open the podcast up with uh, these people, like our guest's journey, and just to mm. like sort of give us a, a brief rundown of sometimes like we like to say brief, but it's not always brief of how you got to where you are, um, what are the things that inspired you, um, and yeah, just just um, pick it up where it where it started. Sure. Okay. Cool. Um, there's like a short version and a not so short but not long version. Which one do you want? I like the not so short but long version. Okay, cool. Okay. Um, so basically when I speak about my journey, there's a message which echoes throughout it, throughout my whole life. And I think most people should really adopt it. And it's the concept that opportunity often comes misguided as misfortune. And along my journey, there's been a number of failures hardships, challenges, and mistakes, which have led me to be where I am here today. And I'm sure many of your listeners may agree, or some may not agree, with everything happens for a reason. If we dig a little bit deeper than that, the concept of opportunity comes misguided as misfortune is basically saying through the challenging times, we either win or learn. So if we go back to when I was at school, I have dyslexia and I had a really hard time learning. And because of that, I was just disengaged and kind of fell out of the kind of conventional 
processes, let's just say. I was a skateboarder, loved my weed and everything else back in the day. And uh, I pretty much sucked at school. And that was really useful because it enabled me to find passion and love for something different. And that was that was when I first started training at the age of 15. And because I was in the gym all the time, creating this newfound identity, because in the conventional system, academically, I was deemed as a failure. But yet in the gym, I was in control of my own success without the necessity of learning and reading and things like this. And I become addicted to it like most young men do. And that really enabled me the job opportunity to become a fitness instructor. The, uh, the gym manager, she was this, this hardcore little woman and she, everyone was scared of her, but she took a shining to me. She kind of like took me un under her wing because I was just in there slaving away and just building a pretty decent physique at a young age. So anyway, she says like, Hey Jake, do you want a job as a fitness instructor? And I was like, well, you know, I'm not quite qualified. And she's like, don't worry about that. We'll pay you three pounds 64 an hour. I thought, £3.64 an hour is pretty shit because I was selling out-of-date chocolate at school on lunch break, getting £20 per day. But I was able to do something I loved and it was the first step in the right direction. So I'd become a fitness instructor and uh, I was working in this gym and I was there for maybe about a year or so. And then someone at college, this like high up guy at college come up to me and said, hey, Jake, you ever thought about becoming a personal trainer? I was like, you know what? I actually have. He goes, well, look, you can miss out a couple of years of college, which get you into the last little bit. You could do that and you could become qualified. I was like, awesome. So by the age of 16, I was self-employed as a personal trainer. I'm not the tallest of the bunch. And I was only around nine stone, uh, 11 pounds, I think it was at the time. So I'm self-employed working this brand new gym with a team of people, which some are twice my age, some are twice my size, either in high or muscle. And it was challenging because we had to fend for ourselves and we had to walk the floor, do the talk and everything else. So that was great because that forced me out of my shell and forced me to connect more with people. And I was really starting to develop my physique so I could represent the package that I was trying to deliver as a personal trainer. But because I was young and possibly egotistical, well, I'll say possibly, we all know it is, uh, I was overtraining in hopes of pushing my physique further. And that led to an injury. I had a bulge disc in L3-4, uh, uh, I think it was L4-5 actually. Um, and that spiraled me out of training, which ripped away my newly formed identity of what I built my self-worth around. And it spiraled me into a bit of depression because the thing what I was so attached to, the thing what I had so much love to was pulled away from me. I was seeing two different physios and they're like, you know, probably should consider not getting into bodybuilding, yada, yada, yada useless. Um, but the only thing what I could really control was my nutrition because I couldn't train. And because my dyslexia was hard reading. So I listened to podcasts. So anyone listening to this podcast now, this is awesome. Um, so I listened to as many podcasts as possible, trying to soak up as much information as I could. So I could have a point of difference to the rest of the people on the team. And on that journey, I learned more about inflammation and gut health and turmeric and omega-3. And I started doing that and removing gluten and lo and behold, my inflammation subsided. I was able to tr uh, train without pain and work on my posterior chain, my rhomboids, glutes, you name it. And I was free from my pain. And that was great, but I didn't learn my lesson because as soon as I was free from pain, I started training hard again. And then I had a slap tear. And it was quite funny because when I got into the podcasts and learning more about nutrition and learning more about 
the power of the body. I was experimenting with all these different diets. I was experimenting with a intermittent fasting paleo keto diet. And I did that for a, an extended period of time, probably about nine months or so. And little did I know at that time, I had a real hard time digesting fats. I was actually turning a bit jaundiced. My skin was going slightly yellow. My eyes were yellow. I was waking up consistently at the um, 3 a.m. mark, which correlates obviously with the liver and TCM. Uh, and I was having a bunch of pain around my subscap on my right side. Now, for those of you which know physiological biofeedback markers and things, those are all indicators of poor fat digestion. But I wasn't aware of that at the time. So I was just pushing through it, pushing through it, pushing through it. And the scapular dyskinesia led to overcompensation, which then led to a slap tear because I was pushing some big weights. And boom, I was unable to train again. And that kind of put me back onto the path of saying, hey, maybe you should pay a little bit more attention to health and also nutrition. So I started learning more. And from that, I become a bit of a nerd. And that enabled me to become a team leader. I was a PT manager. I was teaching nationally by the age of 18, internationally by the age of 22, 23. In fact, by the age of 23, I think it was, uh, I messaged a private laboratory saying I wanted to bring functional medicine to the health and fitness industry. And they flew me out to Copenhagen thinking I was much older. Uh, lo and behold, I was a young whippersnapper. But they took me in and I was going into the lab and things like this. And it was really cool. And uh, they paid for some DNA testing. And it just so happened I had an APO, APOE4 polymorphism. So correlates with issues with fat digestion and other factors. And um, that was the kind of blossoming of the integration of functional medicine into the health and fitness industry. At that time, um, I was teaching, you know, internationally, 22, 23. Uh, I, I started to get some people slandering the health concept because we're talking some years back now and the industry was all about calories and macros, which a small portion of the industry is today. And people were trying to discredit me online. And because of that, I thought, well, you know, fuck you. I'm going to validate everything what I have with published medical references so it becomes bulletproof. And that further put me on this catapult of going down the realms of um, evidence-based holistic health, which then enabled me to teach um, globally by the age of 25, in which today I've taught in 11 different countries and I've supported students across 36 or 37 so that's the snapshot of the journey. And the blessing of that is if I would never have got injured, I would never be doing what I'm doing here today. Amazing journey, man. Like I mm. loved, I started to, it's a different journey to you, but like the identity thing is something mm. that has been a real um, teacher for me as well. I having to break down those identities because they can really hold you back. You know what I mean? Yeah. Going back into old patterns um, because you identify with a certain person that you think you are, um, which is a really interesting part of your story. And I think it's something that people can look at themselves and wonder how how am I identifying myself and how is that um, holding me in a certain pattern and not able uh, not enabling me to break free and get to my highest form. Yes, definitely. Yeah, yeah the strongest force in reality is how we see ourselves. Yeah, yeah. Now. Like, could, can we go further into like, like obviously you, you know, you did a lot of your own study and stuff like that, but can we go further, further into like where you learned uh, a lot of your information, some of the best thing or some of the best people you learned from? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I know. I know it might be hard, <laughs> mate, but like, honestly, yeah. you know, my experience with you is your ability to pull information off the top of your head that mm -hmm. like not many people would know. And it's like, I know you've obviously been around the traps and learned so many different things. Like even when I first started learning from you, like your ability to talk about aromatherapy, I'd like, where did that come from? Yeah. You know I mean, like there's so many different avenues that, you know, us as practitioners, like I'm still, you know, wanting to learn more and more. So what are the, some of the things and some of the people that you've found the most valuable to learn from? 
Mm, that's a really, really good question because we could um, kind of chunk up and put it into different categories. Yeah. Uh, along my journey um, from being in this industry for 15 years, I think I've invested around 2 million into my education and there were different mentors. Some mentors have cost a hundred grand for the year and some have cost considerably less and some things have been courses and some things haven't. So I think if we just view this from the lens of health, which I think probably connects most with your, your, um, your listeners, uh, I think one of the biggest catalysts in the earlier days was Charles Poliquin, without doubt. And um, I did a ton of his stuff early on and it was phenomenal because there was, there was kind of like two camps in the uh, health and wellness fitness industry. And that was the Czech camp and the Poliquin camp. And the Poliquin camp was very much performance-based, but it was very um, very deep into kind of physiology, whereas obviously Czech's more holistic and everything without and so within and more spiritual as such. And I, I completely resonate with both. But at the time, Poliquin was the camp what I was predominantly in. And I feel blessed to have um, met him a few times, do I think all of his courses apart from like PICP 4 and 5. Um, and... Yeah, it was a huge eye-opener from that process. I think another another great learning uh, in my earlier years, um, I won't say any names, but there was uh, uh, a managing director of a company where I was a personal trainer for quite some time. And um, he kind of took me under his wing and he was kind of like modeling me into basically a, a manager, you know, national educational manager as such. And... Um, that was all good and great because we, I would go uh, to do two days management training every single month for a, for a long period of time. The only, the only caveat with that is that individual said, Hey Jake, you know, send me the seminars. I'll proof check them. I know you're not so good with spelling. And he went and copyrighted them in his own name. So uh, that's the reason why I won't say uh, any names, but I am grateful for him for, for many different reasons. One, he installed a lot of the belief mechanisms what I have here today, such as seek to understand before being understood. And, you know, he introduced me to Stephen Covey and Jim Rohn and uh, all of these concepts, which I am deeply and eternally grateful. And they have modeled my life where I am here today. However, by me sharing that side of the story, I also shared the other side of the story, which I felt only right to protect his identity because I uh, don't want any backlash to him. Um, I can imagine. Um, yeah. Something you've been sharing a lot about, you know, recently, and which I, um, which I love, is going into the controversial stuff around health that uh, you know I don't think people want to look at, um, mm. and you know it might not even be direct into health. It, it might be direct. It might be like what's happening in the world, the way society's moving, all these sorts of things, which I, I find you're very uh, in tune with. But one thing that no one wants to talk about is is vaccination. Yes, um, and some of the information you're able to share, obviously, it's all evidence based. Because everyone that talks about vaccination, like if we were talk about the health complications, there are oh, you're an anti-vaxxer, you're a conspiracy theorist, you're uh, you're this, you're that. Where you come up, put the information up, have the graphs, have the evidence, um, and I'd just love to be able to go deeper into that. What got you into that? How did that spark your interest? And and where do you see things going? Um, could you give us a little bit of insight um, into the history of vaccination and the impact it's had on health? 
Yeah, sure. Uh, that's a really good question here. So Too broad, sorry, it, man. Yeah, yeah so well, it's, 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 it's good. I was going to say as well and jump in, like like during COVID, you were dropping some absolute bombs as well. So I'd love for yes. you to maybe tell you how you can integrate it from there because that's what drew drew me to you. I reckon during that time, I was like, whoa. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I think um, I've always been a black sheep because mm-hmm. at school I didn't do so well. And then, you know, I was working and well, I was self-employed technically at school, selling out day chocolate and stuff like this. So I've always defied what people have justified as the norm. And uh, I have a lot of these fuck you goals and these fuck you goals are just things where people don't think it's possible. And I want to do it. Like I want to teach in as many countries as my age. That's a fuck you goal. And I have many others like that. Um, so I think it's just in my nature from nurture um, to stretch what people believe to be true. And uh, I guess, I guess before we go into the concept of vaccines, there was a large period of time, you know, when you're in the health and fitness industry and you start learning more, I think, I think learning about gluten was almost my gateway drug onto this topic. Yeah. Because (laughs) you're like, Oh, gluten can have some things for some people, which maybe not so beneficial and oh what about pesticides and what about organic food and why don't we know more about this and then you know as this the the uh the story unfolds you start learning more about things like oh well you know soil erosion and then you go into things like sunscreen and spending time indoors and mobile phone use and electromagnetic frequencies and you just go in this rabbit hole as such you all the way the through to pill. learning more about money um pardon you swallow the red pill yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I technically, you know, you got the blue pill, the red pill. I'm a little bit of the black pill. Uh, <laughs> if anyone knows that concept, like the black pill is like impending doom. However, um, I I think it's a beautiful lesson for everyone to live in the moment, and that's the thing. Because before we go too deep with the whole uh, tinfoil stories and stuff, I think a lot of people can get consumed by the nature of good versus evil yeah yeah and i i truly believe in some weird taoist fashion that there is nothing neither good or bad but only thinking makes it so and i think it's far too easy to become consumed to the extent of which we do not have the beauty of enjoying the present day and nature around us so i think there's an element of awareness which is paramount so you can make informed decisions but i equally think it's important to be not become consumed by it as well which i also was for many years earlier on so anyway. yeah yeah I, I second that too because i mean it's no different to say if you're experiencing a certain emotion right like we mm. if someone is always chas- chasing happiness and you're living in a, fa- a fantasy land but exactly so it's like yeah i understand what you mean definitely Thanks. cool um so um how did how did we get onto this then how do we get onto vaccines is like um it was it was interesting because we could foresee some things happening in 2019. I was blessed with having some friends around me, which were very well informed. And uh, they were like, hey, Jake, this is probably going to go down. You know, I was like, okay, I'll check this out. And I checked it out and made some groups on Instagram, like some chat groups and said, hey, guys, we should probably start speaking about this because I think this might happen. Everyone thought I was crazy and um, some friends couldn't embrace the information and um Nonetheless, I thought I'll just grab the bull by the horns and just sharing the information myself. And the more I started researching it, because I initially just thought prior to my own research, I initially just thought, oh, anti-vaccines were just these kind of like middle-aged stay-at-home school mums and 
you know, they're just crazy. And I, that's what I thought stereotypically probably around seven years ago. Okay. Um, but I slowly started to become more and more aware because I guess another catalyst in my journey was Klinkart, Dietrich Klinkart. And um, I was learning more about autism and the, the issues with things like uh, metals and concepts such as this and similar to Zach Bush. So I was blessed by studying from them earlier in my, um, my journey. And that kind of opened the eyes of, oh, well, there might be some correlations here with mercury and some correlations with the retroviruses and things like this. So I started researching it. And the more I researched it, the more I was shocked to the extent I actually went onto the CDC's website to look at the excipient list. And if you just go on the CDC's website and look on the excipient list yourself, you'll see things such as um, yeast cells, DNA cells, you'll see, um, I think it's uh, bovine porcine, you'll see um, MRC5, WI38, you'll see formaldehyde, you'll see aluminium, you'll see all sorts of different things which you wouldn't actually consume and eat, but nonetheless, you'd inject that into the body, bypassing the processes of digestion, elimination, going straight into the bloodstream. So that was- in there, Jay? Pardon? Aborted fetal cells in there? Yeah, that's that's the uh, MRC5 and WI38, yeah, okay, yeah. which- which we can go into that subject in a bit because there's some interesting concepts around that. Um, so anyway, that that was the early catalyst. But the thing which ignited my fire was the fact that we could foresee this happening um, at the start of 2020, end of 2019, and um, I, I could I could see that without people's awareness, they may be making an uninformed decision through co um, through either cognitive dissonance or coercion which unfortunately tended to be the majority of people. Um, and that in itself was a growth opportunity in me because it was the process of um, knowing how much to communicate and how much to guide and inform people, but equally letting people make their own lessons and mistakes themselves because everyone's on their own unique journey. Um, so it was a very interesting concept of uh, the art of letting go. Um, but anyway, that in a nutshell is uh, how I got onto the vaccines. I'm happy to discuss more if you uh, want to go into some of the minutiae around the risks potentially of some. Yeah, ri the risk would be good because you know one of the one of the things that I um, picked up on uh, a, a podcast recently, which I'd love to confirm with you whether you've gone into it, but Robert Robert Kennedy Jr. has done a lot of research into it all, and he was speaking about. Um, a lot of the vaccines since um, 1986, I think when the schedule started, around 1989, autism rates started to rise around that time. And they back back then before 1986, I think it was one in 10,000 children had autism or a spectrum disorder. And today, now it's one in uh, 30, I think it is um, off the top of my head. And so, so I, sorry. Yeah. And so obviously there's this toxic soup and we're, you know, we're constantly surrounded by all these different toxins and chemicals now. But one of the things that he he said there, might, you know, there could be a bit of a correlation there with the vaccine schedule and and mercury and some of these things. So yeah, it'd be cool to just unravel it all, man. I think it was yeah, sweet. Like Andrew Wakefield as well, and his, yep. his reports and stuff like that. I don't know if you've looked into that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact, I'm um from the uh, 2020 era. Uh, me and Robert F. Kennedy connected. I think he even follows the account and things like this. And you know, I was blessed for him sharing some of the stuff what I was sharing back in the day. Um, so I think in 1986, that's when uh, the vaccine manufacturers uh, were exempt from liability. I think that's what happened at that year, uh, which was a huge risk factor because 
if you would purchase a car and the seatbelt wouldn't work or, some, or there's no airbags, you'd kind of expect the manufacturer to be responsible for that. But with this, they're, they're relatively exempt. I think before we go any further, it's wise if I say that this is not for uh, medical diagnoses and uh, cure or slander. It's purely for educational purposes only, just to cover my ass. Sweet, sweet. Okay, cool. You, bro. <laughs> nice. Um, so anyway... Um, yeah, let's just look at the concept of autism. What was actually equally started to happen is they started to make these side classifications. So there's things like Asperger's, there's autism, there's these other kind of categories which are being introduced, which are diluting the stats, enabling them to potentially flatten the curve as such because they can break segments off into these different silos. So it's actually far higher than what you'd expect. The unfortunate thing is with, um, with autism is that there is a scale yeah and i think the the blessing of that is equally that there's a scale because autism can give you a blessing of uh, being able to see patterns and um, process things in slightly different ways depending on how far on that scale someone is and then obviously the further down the scale there's things like nonverbal, sensory stimulus and uh, social uh, reclusion and things like this which can be quite challenging so with the uh, introduction of vaccines, there's things like uh, polysorbate 80, which is uh, a chemical which is used to increase the mode of delivery from chemotherapy through the blood-brain barrier into the brain. And in many of the vaccines, that's actually utilized along with the presence of things like aluminium. There used to be thurimosol, which was a, a mercury uh, derivative, but this day and age, it's predominantly aluminium. But anyway, the combination of tween 80 or polysorbate 80, it's the same thing with aluminium, enables the passage of um, aluminium through into the brain, which then leads to a lot of these behavioral disorders, what we tend to see today, ranging from but not limited to ASD through to ADHD and other uh, difficulties. So that's a huge one there. Yeah. Wow. And, and so... With like with um, these different vaccines, like what like do you know the exact vaccines? Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, first of all, like um, in the United States of America, the average eighteen-year-old has had between twenty-five and thirty doses of vaccines, which is quite a lot. And um, when we look into some of these vaccines, like measles, mumps, and uh, chickenpox, they could be beneficial. For instance, if you if not not the vaccine, sorry, but Measles, mumps, and chickenpox could be beneficial for the individual if they were to acquire them earlier in life. The vaccine, on the other hand, maybe not so much. Uh, but the chickenpox, uh, measles, mumps, that actually trains the innate immune system to become more versatile, more resilient, and enables uh, better immune function later on in life. And there has been correlations. Granted, some of these studies are from 19, 1917s, 1980s, 1990s. So they're old. Um that's a whole another topic of discussion there. But nonetheless, the study's done and it showed that the early life contraction of things such as chickenpox, measles and mumps actually led to a reduced rate of certain cancers such as ovarian cancers. So the fact that we're being vaccinated against some of these and we're trading, you know, the loss of infectious disease, which infectious disease serves benefit. And instead, we're swapping that with autoimmune disease because on the subsequent decline of infectious disease, which isn't associated to vaccines in some literature, most literature states it to the introduction of uh, automobiles, clean cleanliness, food hygiene, uh, solid waste disposal. That is the predominant contribution towards the reduction of infectious disease. But paradoxically, 
on the other side, we have an exponential increase of autoimmune disease. Mm -hmm. And that is due to the foreign bodies, these adjuvants, which are being injected into our body. And sometimes day zero, when our immune system hasn't even developed yet, when our blood brain barrier hasn't been developed yet for six months past the age of birth and all these other compounding factors, um, we're, we're making a trade off, which in my world is for the worse. Yeah. Mm. And just jumping in there, when Jake says adjuvants, we're talking about mercury, aluminium, all these weird ingredients yeah. shouldn't be there. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, and if, like, and it's funny you just said that topic because a lot of people don't realise, like, and you've put the graphs up, that a lot of vaccinations have been introduced when the disease is at its lowest mortality rate, where we've most likely got what we'd call natural herd immunity, and then they yeah. intro introduce that back in. And you've, you know, of, of, as I said, you've got the graphs to prove that, which was really interesting when we got to 2020 and 2021 when they introduced this new vaccine, which was in the middle of a pandemic. Yeah. Um, and that's never, ever, ever been done before. So um, I don't know. Do you do you know, like, like you know, what we could be looking into in the future for people's, you know, health complications with this new mandated uh, vaccine on people, and if there is a difference between how they've done it previously, where it's obviously the pandemic's been over, versus doing it right in the middle of um, the fire, I guess. Yeah, sure. Um, and equally, if we, if we get the opportunity to do so, I'd love to speak about some of the other areas of which we've accepted into modern day life, which may not be as beneficial for us that we currently accept, because that might be um, the way that people can have more comprehension of the stuff what we're speaking about. Um, so anyway, the question here is the introduction of a vaccine which has been rushed through the kind of, sort of normal processes of safety measures and five-year testing and everything else. And the implications, well, it's just quite funny. I think it was two days ago, one of our friends was around at the house. She works in a gym. She's a sales manager in a gym. And she turned around and said, hey, today, this was a couple of days ago, I've just found out that three of the team actually suffer from pericarditis and myocarditis. And one of these was a 40-year-old woman. She, she runs triathlons and things like this. But now she's struggling to breathe and has a hard time moving out the house. So one thing what I'd love to... Um, invite all of the listeners to do here is just simply go on Google Trends and then type in myocarditis. Google Trends is obviously uh, a search platform tool to see the uh, volume of keywords which have been searched at a given time. There is an exponential growth of myocarditis around 2020 and 2021. And if we then think, well, what is the reason for that? Why would myocarditis suddenly have this massive incline of popularity and research? Well, one would only presume that it's probably because more people are hearing about it and more people would only hear about it if more people are suffering about it. And then if we think, well, what would be the correlation here? Because fair enough, it correlation doesn't mean causation, but you can put two and two together sometimes. Um, we look into the era of 2020 and 2021, there were certain things introduced which weren't introduced before, maybe the topic of what you're speaking about right now, and uh, that had a prominent side effect of myocarditis and pericarditis, something which we, um, we're seeing on the rise more and more right now. And uh, I think with that as well, there was also around 2021, 2022, 2023, possibly, but not so much, there was an exponential increase of athletes passing away, unfortunately, on fields, such as footballers and track athletes, which were dying of sudden heart attack. And then now what we are seeing is some newspaper articles and media outlets starting to associate um, heart attack risks coming from global warming and some 
Ooh, nonsense I, like this. I'll so, yeah. say that. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think for the listeners, because obviously what we're talking about here is a, a very challenging concept for someone to grasp if it is foreign to them. <clears throat> I just want to state that I personally believe intelligence is the ability to contemplate an opposing thought without being gullible. So we're not asking anyone to pick this up. In fact, we, we, we never ask anyone to believe blindly what we say, because then we would be, um, doing what others do to us. Instead, we, we invoke and we implore people to research every single thing, what we say, no matter what, and never trust, but verify. And that is the absolute key thing for any of your listeners. So if this is confrontational, if there is some internal discomfort from possibly the stuff what we're speaking about right now, it isn't a personal attack. It doesn't mean you've made a wrong choice. It doesn't mean that you're, you're uninformed or stupid or anything like this. What it would hopefully mean is that there's some level of curiosity for you to see why you feel that, that way and possibly to check if the stuff what we're saying is true. Yeah. Mm, the yeah. amount the amount of I can reflect on my last 20 years and the amount of things that I can look back on and think and say they were mistakes. I made the wrong choice there and mm. learn from them to be where I am now. So but even believing things like that that seem true as well when they're not always. And I think you had to always do your due diligence to to dig deeper. Yeah, exactly. And, and it kind of, again, echoes that opportunity often comes misguided as misfortune, because if enough people experience pain and suffering, then enough people are going to at least be some level of motivated to investigate why, and that might create enough shift to create a domino effect to a different world. Yeah. Mm. If someone is, and I want to go deeper and you talked about the like certain things that have changed over the last period of time and like, you know, how they've affected us. And I want to go into that. If someone like in the last few years or, you know, they're listening to this, they're like, far out, maybe the COVID vaccinations has impact on me or even vaccinations when I was younger has that impact on me. Is there any sort of tips you could have for people to try and help them with that? <clears throat> so there's a lot of people which say that they, they know. Yeah. And from what I have seen, um, there's minimal concrete information out there to confidently say that this will help you and this won't. There's always going to be a placebo effect. So if you believe something's going to help you, chances are it will. Good. And in fact, you can buy placebo um, pills online for, I think, $50. And there's amazing ratings there on them, which is crazy because people purchase them with the concept of it being a placebo. Now, I know some people might be purchasing them for, let's just say, other people, but nonetheless, it's interesting. So I think the first thing here is just because there is absence of evidence doesn't mean there's evidence of absence. So just because there isn't a concrete protocol which has been tested, pruned, has solid P numbers, good study volume and everything else and good literature doesn't mean that there isn't hope. There, there will be, okay? But what I equally want to say is that there's a lot of people which are farting out of the mouth and say that they know the best thing since God's gift and this is what you have to do and buy my supplements because it'll fucking make your testosterone go double and remove mercury and all this bullshit. The reality is, as a human species, we really know fucking nothing at all, okay? When it comes to this, it's so fresh, so new, we're stabbing in the dark, but stabbing in the dark, if done with due diligence, doesn't mean it'll create harm. If anything, it can add health, just in maybe a different area of what we intended. So... There are things what some people rate and some people 
value like seropeptidase, uh, natokinase, these can have a, a systemic inflammatory uh, reduction on the body. Uh, there's things such as uh, making sure there's adequate levels of vitamin D um, because of the Treg cell function. There's also things such as um, a lot of people love uh, NMN or sub-Q NAD because there tends to be a lot of mitochondrial dysfunction associated with this. Uh, there is actually testing uh, where you can get done in Bali, for instance, where you can have a live blood analysis and you can identify spike proteins and um, other kind of um, graphene oxide and other things there as such. And you can equally get uh, IV therapy with things like um, black human seed oil and colloidal silver and things um, should someone be suffering from either long COVID or from any adverse events of the vaccine that may yield some benefit. But again, like I said at the start, we relatively don't know right now. Mm, yeah. yeah. The supplement that I used um, to help with actually COVID symptoms is called Spike Detox from um, Umundi Medicine Man. It had natokinase, black black cumin seed. Yeah. really did help um, with some kind of like long COVID kind of symptoms. We'd like the vaccines because of the Pfizer and stuff. It has spike proteins, correct? You said graphene oxide. Like, yep. So graphene oxide, isn't that the thing that they were saying about like 5G and all this sort of stuff? Yeah, it's an interesting co concept. Yeah. yeah. Let's go with this. Yeah. So obviously during lockdown, there was the uh, introduction of 5G towers everywhere and they did it under the disguise of lockdown when people weren't on the streets as such. And there wasn't necessarily any large public announcement about it. And if, in fact, many of the 5G towers um, have been kind of been colored in green or brown or have some pretend leaves on just to guide them into the local environment. The interesting thing is most people haven't noticed a substantial increase in their internet power or their call speed or download speed or upload speed or anything else like this. But yet there has been this multi-trillion dollar rollout globally in every single country to introduce 5G. Just so happens to be at the perfect time when everyone is in lockdown. So there, there is theories and concepts that um, the 5G introduction is in correlation with the forced vaccine because they go hand in time and it's quite serpentiptuous. Um, however, um, we're relatively unsure. We're relatively unsure on that. But what we are sure about though is 3G, 4G, 5G, it does have a whole host of health consequences such as um, it's known as a potential carcinogen. Uh, it's uh, the, the mobile phone, the iPhones. In fact, a series recently had to get recalled, but you're also not supposed to hold the phone within two centimeters uh, contact of the body due to the EMF uh, emissions, what happened. And when I speak about EMFs, I'm speaking about this, this thing called non-native electromagnetic frequencies, because we have native electric magnetic frequencies from our body, from the earth, but non-native is not, not natural to us. And what that actually causes is a disruption with um, a particular chemical process in the body, which leads to this increase of peroxynitrate. And peroxynitrate can lead to things like uh, issues with the mitochondria. And we can also have issues with the cell function because on the cell, I'm going to go a bit sciencey for a second. Gotcha. Uh, on the cell, there's something called the vaulted gated calcium channel sensor. And that determines how much calcium we have inside the cell or outside of the cell. When we have this increased exposure to electromagnetic frequencies, we have this abundance of calcium going inside the cell and this increase of peroxynitrate, and that leads to a lot of cell dysfunction. And this, the health of our cells can equally determine the health of our self. So 
electromagnetic frequency exposure is correlated with things such as breast cancer. We we know that the studies, there's case study reports of people having their phone in their bra and developing um, cancerous cells and tumors where that phone has been sitting. We know it's been correlated to issues with the blood-brain barrier. We know it's been associated to things such as anxiety, depression. We can also see this having an effect on the ecology and the environment, such as uh, the, the health of the bees. So this mass introduction of this foreign thing into the environment is almost like we're trying to pose God. And there's a really good quote. Uh, it says that we have godlike technology, medieval institutions, and caveman emotions. And I think that is the perfect example of of that quote living in how we live today. Yeah. And with the um, going into the five G, it might not be to do with health, but I still wouldn't mind going into it, going in with it, uh, going into it with you. Sorry, get my words out properly. Um, so good. Does it come? Does it come back to like these smart cities and the grids and stuff like that, and yeah. this push for electric, uh, electrical vehicles and stuff like that? Mm-hmm. Amazing. So <laughs> let's just let's let's before we go into smart cities, if we can, I'd like just to identify some things what we accept as norm. Oh yeah, uh, because then it help people understand if that's how we live now, how can we live in the future? Yeah. So I think let's just look at mobile phones. The average amount of time what someone spends on their mobile phone in Australia is five and a half hours every day, which is 17 years of their life if they had a mobile phone by the age of 10. 17 years of their life. And obviously, when you're on a mobile phone, that does a number of things. First of all, it disconnects you from the present, it disconnects you from society. Um, in the world of being connected, we have actually become disconnected within ourselves, And on top of that, we become exposed to electromagnetic frequencies and all these other things leading to postural distortions, forward head syndrome, you name it. It's a bit of a problem. We talked about the mass introduction of vaccines and um, we've evolved for God knows how long, billions, trillions, who knows? Who knows if we even have evolved? Um, but nonetheless, um, we have now started to think that our existence depends on the injection of stuff as opposed to our innate adapted ability to respond to it. Um, there's also the Flexner report or the Carnegie report, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and that was um, introduced into universities to govern what could be taught as health education and as uh, medical education, which therefore put red tape around a lot of the naturopathy over in the States, which stopped people from understanding the healing powers of nature and things, what we had free access to and the ability to control ourselves, And it actually led to the popularization of the petroleum in, uh, influenced uh, pharmaceutical industry, what we have here today. Um, there's, there's the concept of retirement that we should work all of our life until the age of 60, 65, when the average life expectancy is 73. So we expect to have a good quality of life for around 10 years when we're decrepit and our health is at its worst. When the reality is there's three things which determine experiences, there's time, there's money, and there's health. And the, the thing, what we trade everything for is the last little bit of time at the end of our life. I just think that's wrong. Uh, another thing is the Gregorian calendar, what we have and what we center our entire life around is the Gregorian calendar, which was uh, introduced, I think, in the, the 15th century or 16th century, sometime around then by the Pope, which was an extension of the Julius uh, calendar, which was about 53 BC or yeah, 53 BC, I think it was. Uh, and that's where we had two months introduced. We had, um, July and we had uh, August introduced, named after 
Julius Caesar and Augustus Caesar. So two things were introduced there, which disrupted the natural calendar. And some, and we can see that because of like Desi means 10, but yet December is 12. And we can see um, October means eight, but Oct uh, Octo means eight, but October is um, the 10th month. And that disrupts our natural circadian rhythm. We're, we're very much aware of our internal biological circadian rhythm of how we go with the day cycle, but yet there is an annual circadian rhythm as well. But we've, we've had that completely disrupted from the calendar system of what we kind of live by, as opposed to more of these like lunar cycles, uh, which we should be following as which most people's bodies follow as well. Um, on top of this, there's the concept that we spend 90% of our adult life indoors and we equally wear sunscreen, yet we've never required it um, before. And we are seeing an exponential increase of skin cancers. Um, we can see the introduction of commercially endorsed plant-based plant diets and the concept of toxic masculinity, which therefore makes society weak and has a lack of resilience and a lack of integrity to stand up for the erosion of health and values, what we see in from traditional families through to modern day culture. Um, and we also have inflation, which causes debt because the fractional reserve lending just uses a fucking delusional model of money with no backed value, which causes people to spend their entire lives chasing something, which means nothing in reality. So if we can understand those concepts, maybe now we can understand the concept of the direction which we're, we're moving into. I wanted to make sure the listeners could be aware of that at least. So, so with all that being said, like what the fuck's going on? That's it, right? That's the game of life. Yeah. I, I, th I think, um, because I, I, I can get quite spiritual and quite deep, but I'm also not one of them fairy fucking hippies, which stink as shit and live in a van. Um, I respect them at times and I equally hate them at times, like everything in life. Um, I think, first of all, the, the human mind has this, this desire to always understand and know what's happening when in reality, we don't really need to know. Yeah. I think that's the first mistake what most people make and myself included. I, I think the second thing is creating a life worth living rather than saving just for a few extended months of life. So I think with that in mind, we can understand some things might not be in our best benefit right now. And some things might be with that. We can make some level of informed decision of, well, I can do this, not obsess about that, that I can't control, but this I can. I think that's the fundamental process here because it's very easy to go, well, fuck it mode, which I equally agree. There is some, necessity for that but i equally think like i mentioned earlier there is an element of um not acceptance that is, that is the the wrong thing but there's a, one of my other favorite quotes is today is a good day to die and that comes with the concept of um i i believe three different meanings to me at least um, number one is if today is a good day to die we should make sure that we experience the day as is and be grateful for what we have the other is that Today is a good day to die. It could be the dying of old habits, the dying of paradigms. And the other one is um, today is a good day to die. Uh, so we've got the self, we've got the habits. Fuck, I forgot the third. Um, it'll come to me later, but I can't, can't remember the third concept. But but echoing that in your mind, it's uh, it enables you to live more freely without the confinements of the impending doom, which could happen.
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that there's a little bit of healthy defiance in there too, you know? Yeah. Like to go in your own direction and to follow your own heart. I think that's one of the things that kind of, I guess, even the Institute of Health, right? Like we're all kind of like like as a community of people that are all heading in that same direction of kind of fuck the system. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I I, I think one of the greatest acts of defiance in this day and age in 2024 is becoming self-employed and doing something in health. Yeah. Because health is the most valuable asset that we have. And if if we want to talk about, you know, the direction of where everything is moving, uh, I personally think we won't have that long to be self-employed. Really? Like, yeah. Uh, are you talking down like um, universal basic income sort of stuff? 100%. Yeah. yeah. Artificial yeah. intelligence. Yeah. So, so, you know, I may be wrong. I hope I'm wrong. I don't want to be right. But I think, you know, like, this is an end soon thing, but let's just say a 10 year thing, um, 10 years or so, I don't think many people would have the opportunity to be self-employed because of the introduction of universal basic income. And there's the introduction of universal basic income because there's the mass introduction of AI, which is replacing millions of jobs worldwide. And it just so happens that Sam Altman, it was also studying universal basic income and funding the research for that at the same time that artificial intelligence was introduced, which is going to replace a lot of jobs. So that's going to be an easy way for society to say, hey, you don't have to work. You just have to follow our rules and this social uh, credit score and be a good boy and you'll get paid this. Most people conform to that because it means an easy way out, but an easy way out isn't the best way to go. Equally on top of that, when we look into the history of 2020 and 2021, the people which had the greatest level of choice were those which were self-employed because the ones which were employed, such as um, my partner, Katerina, her mom, she was working for a company for 25 years, 25 years. And, and they forced her to retire because of certain things, what she didn't want to do. And she, she, she committed herself for 25 years and the company couldn't respect that. So you could see that fortunately she had the resilience, she had the integrity, she had the value, she had the understanding to make an informed decision to do what's best for her and her family, which I feel fucking grateful of. Right. Okay. Um, But most people weren't in that position. Most people weren't in that position to be understood or to be empowered to make that choice. And because if you're relying on someone to pay you, then you're also reliant on what they tell you and you have to do that. But the ones which were self-employed weren't relying on people to pay them. They were in control of their own money, which meant that, hey, I can work without someone telling me to do this and do this. So with that, they were the the nemesis as such for the certain rules and regulations or orders or disorders what were imposed on people in 2020. And if that's the case, if something should ever happen like this again, maybe 2030, maybe beyond I think before that happens, they're probably going to make it harder for self-employed people to make money yeah. or to become self-employed because they were the, the, the largest group of defiance. Yeah. It's, it's funny. I actually, that story resonates with me because I, uh, I went for the safe option. Like I had my own business and I went for the safe option, became a firefighter. Mm-hmm. Um, and I went through the same thing probably as your mother-in-law um, yeah. to make a choice and go away from that which taught me a lesson because I went for safety and there was no safety there. And a lot of people talk about, oh, get away, you know, get on a good wage, get safety, but there's no safety if someone tells you what you got to do and what you got to put in your body and whatnot. How can you Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And and you're forced to save for retirement, which 
is in the latter stages of your life and you're working times what you don't choose, going places you don't necessarily want to, doing things what you might not be doing. I think, you know, if we believe there is the concept of that, we have one life, which I don't necessarily believe either. But if that is the thing, if this is the only life what we get to experience, we want to make sure that we spend our working, living day doing something that we love, something that is giving back to the world and creating an impact. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. So you d- you brought up smart cities. I'd love to go into that. What yeah. was your views on smart cities? Do it. Well, I don't know a whole lot about it, but I, I you can look, to be honest, I, like I saw there's something going ahead in Dubai where they're trying to do something there. Um, to me. Uh, Saudi I, Arabia, there's the line. Saudi yeah, is that the yeah, thing like, that you saw? Yeah. The line. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and um, you know the way I look at it, I guess it's just a way to control people and um, and keep people into a, a slavery slavery position where they can still have power and be the, the head honchos that make the most money. That's what that's the way I look at it. But I would say control resources too. Like yeah. if, if you get people off the land into a system where they're reliant upon a system feeding them. Yeah. Um, a, a system housing them, then how are they meant to revoke against anything that comes down the line? Where and I don't know if you know we go even real deep into this and you know the weather, the crazy weather that's been going on uh, around the world and around Australia and whether or not that's a push to pe- push people into smart cities. I don't know, Jay. I'd love to, to get your insight into this. Think about yeah. Rochester is underwater. You know, it's all these rural towns that are getting smashed. Yeah. Like, have you looked at the national train line, what they're looking at introducing to connect the cities? Brisbane to Melbourne. Yeah. 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 And then, you, you know, when there was the, the last floods, I think last year, the year before, um, it just so happened that one of the towns which it, the, the train line was going to be going through, oh, that town just got flooded. And then you could look into things like uh, cloud seeding, which which a lot of people say that's conspiracy, but they do it in Dubai. You could actually type in cloud seeding and there's been operations since post-World War II era, um, where they can seed the clouds, induce rain formation and other things. Um, so it isn't a far-left concept. It's a concept which is happening in reality. So yeah. when looking into this... Not uh, there too, Jake. I think two years before those floods as well, there was bushfires. Exactly. That run yeah, there was. The same areas. Yeah, yeah 100%. Right. So, and, and then we could even look in Hawaii, right? You know, mm. and and when there was Hawaii, when uh, all the celebrities were painting their roofs blue, and there was the uh, the cars which were set on fire, trees set on fire, but other areas were weren't, and it just so happened like Obama and Oprah and all these people, um, that their, their property didn't even get touched, but it just so happens that they they also painted their pop property blue so there's interesting things when you look in dews uh when you look into cloud seeding but i think um going back to the smart cities for a second it's that there's many different levels to us you know uh, they do this under the guise of global warming but yet the ho- whole hosties i think they call it g13 summits and everyone flies in on the private jets and the private jets are just contributing masses to global warming yet they do this for the the alibi of global warming, telling people to not do this and change their cars, not have diesel, get electric cars, when the, the reality is that electric cars creates more damage to the environment than um, most petrols actually would. And there was actually electric cars over 100 years ago when you look into the literature as well. And equally, there's cars which were developed to be ran on water and the inventors also somehow get killed. But going back into the smart cities, um, it's also a means of divide and conquer. Because if there are people which can't congregate and if they are separated, then it's much easier to create a level of control. 
And the smart cities were actually introduced in the UK. I think it was Oxford or Cambridge. I can't necessarily remember which one, maybe both. But it was where people were in these 15-minute neighborhoods and they weren't allowed outside of that neighborhood. Uh, and it was not well accepted and I think they removed it. But nonetheless, it is something which they tried to introduce under the concept of saving fuel emissions and things like this. So it is something which we're moving into. And this could equally be why there is this introduction of 5G. And um, that is another thing why I, th I truly believe a lot of people should become self-employed as soon as possible. So they have the opportunity to live their life now and experience the world for what it is until it becomes maybe a little bit too late. I think before we started the podcast, I, I, I mentioned to you guys that m one of my missions in this year is to live my best retired life whilst creating a business which creates ge generational retirement and wealth. I think people should probably adopt some level of that philosophy whilst they have the freedom of movement because we've recently lost the freedom of health. And I personally think it is only a matter of time until we lose the freedom of movement, whether that is temporary, whether that is long term, I'm not sure, but we can see it already in certain countries. Yeah. Well, we got tested in 2020 and 2021, and I like mm -hmm. Jake when I saw this this war in Israel and and um, Palestine, I started to get the the thoughts that uh, what's what's next? What's the next fear campaign that's going to say, "Hey, you can't leave your city." Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. For that next little train to get us come in. Yeah. Well, it's just one thing after the next, right? Because obviously there was. If we go back to it, 2019, there was the Australian bushfires, there was the Californian bushfires, then there's 2020, so there's COVID. After COVID, there was the vaccines. After vaccines, there was monkeypox. After monkeypox, there was the Russian versus Ukraine war. After that, there's the recession. After the recession, there's Israel versus Palestine. You know, there is just one thing after the next, and it's just constant imposed fear. But the reality is as well, if people weren't watching their TV and weren't going on social media, they wouldn't know anything else, none the wiser. <laughs> So I, I, I truly believe um, we can get all metaphysical here and it's like, um, as we think, so becomes. And equally with that, there is that whole Maharishi, uh, Maharishi effect of if people are in this mass state of self-imposed fear and doom and scarcity, there is equally going to be a, a, a metaphysical effect, which we see resonating with the human resonance of the earth and stuff like this. So when there is this uniformed speech, which is the same across every single news network across America, where people are saying the exact same words at the same time to create this level of fear in people, um, I think... The, the problem isn't solely just the problem what they state, but the level which we buy into it as well. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, it's it's similar. Like you feel like the energy you feel within your body. Like I do, I practice a lot of manifestation now. And especially mm -hmm. if I'm maybe feeling anxious or feeling down, like I'll go through mantra and, and, and actually legitimately feel the energy um, and the light I feel within my body change. So. Yeah. And I'm doing that on a – I can consciously feel that. Like you imagine the subconscious of millions of people watching the news and watching that that, that energy vibration moving through them on a universal level. It's, it's going to have impact. Yeah. yeah, definitely, definitely. And then this is this is why I think, you know, we, we, we know so much more than what we give ourselves to around things what we don't even know, and yet we think we know so much about the stuff what we know so little – we think we know so much about the stuff what we know so little about, you know, it's, it's kind of like this upside down kind of world as such. But I think, um, 
you know, it, a lot of this comes down to the schooling system as well with the things what we're taught. We're taught to conform. We're taught to obey. We're taught to sit down. We're taught that creativity is bad. We're taught to uh, respond and follow and follow orders and repeat after me and memorize this. And I think that is a large contribution, which is exactly why we aren't going to send our kids to the schooling system. We're going to homeschool. We're going to have private tutors for different subjects, which we handpick and choose at certain times in their life. And we're going to be in control of that destiny rather than putting them into a schooling system, which is now teaching people that boys aren't boys, girls aren't girls. People can be cats, that they can go shit in a litter box. And, you know, that's what humans are when reality is you just poison the kid's mind so they don't know what fucking the reality is. They don't know who they are. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if we put our kids into something like that, we're, we're creating the world for the future and anyone who complies with that, I think is equally responsible to some level. Yeah. Yeah. And if, th- if people don't know who they are from such a young el- level, they're e- much more easily to uh, be manipulated. Because- Which brings back in the open loop of um, the aborted fetal cell cultures. So there is um, a theory out there that the aborted c- fetal cell cultures could be from an opposing sex. Yeah. So if you're injected with cells from an opposing gender on day zero of your life on a cellular level because our blood is alive if you've ever done a live blood analysis and drawn the blood out of the bullet body you'll see the white blood cells move and um the the whole body just function in its own accordance sorry the whole blood function in its own accordance outside of the body nonetheless there is a level of cellular consciousness inevitably that is a real thing but yet if we are injecting babies on day zero of life with a foreign and in fact opposing gender and cells from that into their body they're inevitably going to be confused yeah plus phthalates plus atrazine yeah yeah 100 percent. you know we we can we can look into all of that and we think you know we're, we're living in this this chemical soup which is disrupting our innate way that we've biologically evolved to 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 function so um you know i think there is a lot on top of things like toxic masculinity uh being proposed a thing when you look into suicides being highest in males and you look into um, a lot of the essential workforce being provided by men, such as manual labor jobs, dustbin men, firefighters, it is a predominant male industry. Yes, I completely recognize, appreciate and applaud the females in that industry. I'm not disregarding them, but it is a male led industry and those things are imperative for society to function. Hundred mm. mm-hmm. yeah. percent. Going back to the um, the day zero, I don't know if people realise this, but kids get injected with hepatitis B as soon mm-hmm. as they come out of the mum, and yeah. sexually transmitted disease. There's actually no reason why, and I think the reason they try and say is in case that they catch it in hospital. Yeah, there's just yeah, no it's, it's, it's through uh, unprotected sex or uh, shared needle use they claim it to be, um, but the reality is anyway, if that. Uh, Hep B vaccine worked. Um, some literature states that their acquired immune response would be uh, negligent by the age of 18 when they would be having unprotected sex. And if life cho- chooses them that path, sharing unprotected needles. Yeah. Yeah. Wild, man. Well, we've gone into all the wild stuff, which I love. But yeah. You know what? There are some fucking positives coming out right now. And part of it is the Institute of Health and the people coming out of that because I think that, and we're, you know, we're on the front line here. I think people's consciousness are changing around health. Um, mm. Even people you know, are waking up too. Yeah. They like, are. 
I think slowly, slowly in the health realms, like more people are moving away from, um, you know, the mainstream medical realms and starting to move towards practitioners uh, like ourselves to actually yeah. help them, um, you know, get to the root cause of their health conditions and change the way they're thinking, change the way they're behaving and not just giving them a pill. Mm. You know what I mean? Um mm. I'm also like, and just a, just another positive I see, like, because I'm living on the Gold Coast, there's different schools opening up that are totally different thought processes around education and, and um, like, these are the sorts of positives I, I see. And I, I'm wondering if you're saying any of it. I know, you know, some of us might, you might be a bit more pessimistic about it or not, but these are just things, patterns that I'm starting to see. Yeah. So it's quite interesting because um, in 2022, I was, I was looking and, um, hoping to see change in other people. And I think, I guess, whatever you look for, you find. But then recently, um, my perspective shifted in life and I'm not necessarily hoping for any external change. Instead, I feel in control of the reality, what I want to choose and create. Mm. So that's why I'm equally not so much on social media as some people. I'm equally heads down in the ground, grounding in the business behind the scenes, but equally living my life going on four or five holidays a year and doing some cool stuff and enjoying my life. Because I think, um, a lot of people want to see change in others. And this is a lesson that I had to learn uh, with my own family. Um, when they were going through, you know, the third and the fourth jabs and stuff like this, a lot of you, uh, a lot of people hope to see change in others when the reality is, um, the only constant in life is change. So things will always change, whether that's good, whether that's bad, wherever our perspective lens is. But the biggest thing is to create a life which you want to live without the hope of something being different. Yeah. Love so that. a bit pessimistic, maybe optimistic, depends how you view it. Yeah. No, I sort of, yeah, go. Oh, yeah. I was, I was just going to add, like, I mean, you know, the, 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 what I see in that is, you know, and I can reflect on my life, like, whenever I've set a strong intention on what I want in my life and I really go after it, it happens. So, mm. you, you know, realistically, we are the creators of our destiny to some degree. Sometimes shit can happen along the way. But yeah. I, I feel like we can definitely uh, construct some sort of life for ourselves that, uh, you know, if we have that power of belief, which I think yeah. a lot of people struggle with, they go, oh, I can't, or limiting belief, limiting belief. If you put your mind in the right spot, I think you can create a lot of awesome things. So. I 100% agree because I think um, I think a lot of people are waiting to see the change in other people before they make the change in themselves because a lot of people are externally influenced on social creatures because they don't feel confident making the decisions which defy against what other people expect of them. Whether that's because they're poor boundaries, whether that's because they're people pleasers, whether that's because they don't even know themselves yet, who knows? But the reality is that probably one of the most powerful messages is if you want to, if you want to find a change, just be the first to create it. Yeah. And that sort of comes back to just, you know, um, and you see it now, like with, you know, the climate change sort of stuff, everything's around and I've heard heaps of people talk about everything's around, like changing everyone around you, just change your own backyard and then inspire others. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, but the climate change is an interesting concept as well. <laughs> yeah. Like when you look into, you know, the endorsement of plant-based diets and how that is actually potentially worse for the, the environment, as opposed to eating a biodynamic, um, you know, omnivorous diet as such, uh, and all the different ac yeah, well, allegations, what they have with it. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Man, I like I and and this is I reckon in uh, like something that I've um we're speaking to Dave O'Brien about it. We hopefully get him on Keegan Smith about setting up different communities and yeah. um going into these like uh structured communities where a lot of people that are wanting to expand outside of that realm of smart cities or whatever, there's possibly going to be a lot of these awesome things that arise. And I think in these sort of communities, regenerative agriculture, self-sustained community, all that sort of stuff may arise. I I hope to see that anyway. Um, yeah. Getting back to the roots of who we truly are, um, being more coerced with with nature and all those things. And- yeah, and I think I think there's equally this um, synonymous relationship what we do have with technology because I think technology will always be here. Maybe it always has been and maybe we've just got amnesia from ancient history and how well we used it. But I think there is this synonymous relationship with technology that we equally have to embrace, but also not lose ourselves in. So on one side of the fence, there's the neural link. On the other side of the fence, there's how can we utilize technology to connect ourselves with others, but also experience the beauties of life without being consumed by uh, artificial reality. Mm, yeah. Oof, it's, it's tough because the, the most addictive thing that is known to man, I think now is phones. Right? Yeah. Mm. Especially when you're running your business, from most of them, mm. you know what I mean? Like, fuck, I'm on technology. I'm a health coach, but I'm on technology eight hours a day. Mm. Yeah, that was the most beautiful thing at the start of this year. I deliberately did a digital detox from the 1st of January to the 7th of January where I only used my phone once and that was to charge it for the plane ride home so I could listen to some audiobooks because this year I'm listening to two audiobooks each week. And, um, yeah, that was the the best thing ever because what it enabled me to do is see how much people were consumed and programmed by the programs what we've created. So when you're sat in restaurants, you can see everyone glued to the phone, heads down, not speaking to one another. You can see people so disconnected. But yet, if you actually have your head up rather than down, you get to experience a lot more. How did you find your patterns? Did you find yourself like like reaching for things or actually anything? not? No, 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 no. Because no. um, I'm a little bit adverse to technology. As you guys may know, Terrible Kat is the tech too. person. I'm not the uh, the techie as such. So um, it's something what I've evolved to use, but not necessarily love. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Apparently children now um, that have been like kind of like raised with like a phone in their hand fairly regularly. Apparently they're like when they're sleeping, they're like looking for it. They're yeah. Ones are that adapted. Well, I actually did a uh, predictions for 2024 and beyond. I think there's about mm. 20 to 30 different predictions. But one thing what I predict is that we're going to start seeing more childhood developmental delays due to epigenetic brain changes from the mass use of iPads, glaring blue light screens and the flashing dopamine hits from such a young age, uh, from su- such a young age which will lead to... Um, Issues with learning, behavior, conditioning, human response, human connection, so many other things, which would only be transgenerational as well. Dude, like, and that's one of the things I notice when we go down to, like, the park and, like, Mila, because Mila's not vaccinated. She's free birthed. Like, we've gone just, she has no influence from the system apart from her heart surgery. That was obviously, that saved her life. But um, she has this vibrant energy, you know, she's just larger than life and, you can just tell her 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 aura is so different to many. Mm. Other I, I'm going to say that openly because I think it's important for people to know that. Um, I, I what I notice in a lot of children, they're very reclused. Yes, so I, yes. What I notice is when she goes up to them, they they're very socially awkward and they close mm-hmm. them 
they almost shelter their face like this and yeah. they all do it. They all do it. And uh, yeah. there's very minimal children that will engage you on a similar level. The other thing you'll but- notice with kids as they get a little bit older is they lack imagination. So yes. what happens is, and I've seen it in conversation. So my my nephew was in a conversation with a kid and they were only about five and like he was trying to act. He was like, oh, I'll be, I'll be Superman or no, I'll be an elephant and you be a dog. And he's like, but you're not an elephant. He's like, yeah. couldn't get in the imaginary state. I was like, oh, that's, that's a real worry. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. definitely. It's, 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 we're programmed to believe and think a different way, you know, mm-hmm. and, and talking of far out their concepts, there, there was talks of um, some companies using technologies to um, basically um, influence your dream state of what you dream about. Uh, so they can have like paid advertising when you dream. I think McDonald's, there was some talks of McDonald's using that. Wow. Yeah. That's so powerful and scary. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Because one of my friends, he teaches um, astral project- projection and stuff like this and um, different dream states. And he says the healing effect, what you have in that, if you just did a minute of meditation uh, in that dream state, is equivalent to like an hour or 10 hours of meditation, you know? So the fact that how how healing the body is on a subconscious level like when we do plant medicine it's quite often that we disconnect our conscious mind and our subconscious comes to thought and play the fact that the subconscious is processing and taking almost control of the body and yet that may be governed and limited it also leads to an unknown level of side effects and consequences what we could experience in the future yeah wow can I just ask, like, I don't know how much time you got. I just wanted to ask a little question. That we've got, we've got however long you want, by the way. Yeah, it's good. Oh, oh cool, yeah. cool, cool. Mate, like, you talked about the calendar change. Um, yeah. Now, how the hell does that work with astrology and um, also, like, how does that work with our seasons and stuff like that? Is that, like, because, you know, a lot of people would be like, oh, geez, the seasons are changing. Like, it feels like, you know, summer's later and all this yeah. stuff. And, like, I'm yeah. like, when I hear that, I'm like, well, that sort of makes sense if they've just yeah. added in a you know a, a month to, or a couple of months of time. But yeah, hundred percent. What the what? How the how did the star signs work with July and August if they popped in in you know what was it five hundred years ago seven hundred years ago? Yeah, so I think uh, look, cat cat's the one who knows feng shui and Chinese metaphysics and qi men and astrology and stuff like this. Um, but um, going back to the the calendar as such. There's, there's different schools of thoughts. In fact, we have the Mayan calendar. I actually have that on my shoulder. Um, the different schools of thoughts, the Ethiopian calendar. And I think um, there's 13 months in that, I think, I believe. Uh, I think in the uh, uh, Philippine culture, you have to pay the 13-month presidential decree if you have any Filipino staff. Yep. Um, there's, there's concepts like this, right? And it's more evident in cultures which are not westernized. So, you know, people have different beliefs. That's fine. We can accept that. But an interesting thing is when we look into the uh, Gregorian calendar, uh, some people state that um, the the first day of the year should actually be on the 1st of April. This is what some people state. Whether or not I believe in it, that's a different question. Because the people believe that there should be calendars for different hemispheres or locations across the world, right? But in the Northern Hemisphere... I believe that's spring, spring equinox or whatever it is. I'm not too sure. But the irony is what, what day is the 1st of April? It's April Fool's. But when we look into when springs and when there's lemon season and stuff like that, people state that that should be the case. In ancient literature, we, we, we know things like certain versions of the Bible have been um, 
formed and removed and uh, shaped in certain ways. And you've got the Dead Sea Scrolls, which may have more solid-based literature around some of the ancient history there. We could see, you know, the 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 datings of the the um, the um, temples or the kind of uh, Aztecs and stuff like this, and what people may possibly believe to be Atlantis or uh, Lumoria and things, you know, these ancient uh, cities such as uh, Graham Hancock um, speaks about. I think there's a lot of information there, uh, but there's equally um, a lot of people when we talk about the calendars, there's some reference, I believe, to the uh, the shells on a turtle so that there's 13 shells on a turtle there's 13 moons and um there's 28 days in each month and it, some some interesting things nonetheless it's an area i don't know too much about an area which fascinates me but an area which is hard to research as well yeah of course i can yeah. totally imagine what's your what's your thoughts on like um antarctica and stuff like that do you have any thoughts oh on- yeah you like there's the whole admiral bird one right like did, do you know about admiral bird nah yeah. oh maybe yeah, admiral bird he flew over the yes, like, over yeah. antarctica and then he saw a hole in the earth yeah yeah, yeah or, so or, or a whole new world or a whole, whole, yeah, who, whole new world in, in who something. knows yeah who knows right um yeah. i just i just think it's uh interesting that first of all when we look at the world map the the countries are a disproportionate size yeah. So yeah, the map, what we know and believe to be true, isn't necessarily a map which is lifelike. So the countries are at some level of disproportion to one another, uh, which again creates the level of confusion, which is curious. And uh, I do find it interesting that I think there's um, Russian military bases and American military bases bases on uh, the Antarctic, uh, which stop you from exploring certain areas, and that we haven't really explored that given that we are curious beings and we want to venture the world and find out the unknown but yet no one has effectively done so yeah so uh there, there was the talks of admiral bird um from world war ii going there and finding certain things and some people say there's inner earth and some people say that there's flat earth and then some people say that there's aliens there and some people say all sorts of different stuff right <laughs> the, the key thing as well is um it's easy to fall into an ideology. It's easy to fall into something which tickles your fancy, but fundamentally we have no fucking clue. But Mm. I think the fact that we have no clue tells us at least something. Well, yeah, we're humans. Like like, we have no clue. Then that's, that's odd. And you know, I don't know if you've seen the interesting thing. I've seen people do like flight patterns, like, and they've looked through, like uh, you've probably seen it where like, you know, how come when we're going from this place to this place, we divert, a yeah, few hours in the yeah. direction when they could have diverted straight down here. Like it's yeah. interesting what they do to dodge around it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Really, really interesting. Yeah. Uh, I and I, this is it. This is why I think it's um. I personally believe the world is too small not to explore. You know, like I've been I've been on a flight from Kiev to Dubai and seen people which follow the account, or I've been in Bali, or I've been in Netherlands, or you know. California and I bump into people and I just think the world is a lot smaller than what we're made to believe and I think we do a a disjustice to our life and the world itself if we don't explore it to learn from other cultures to experience all the cuisines to see all the nature and I truly believe that is the most enriching experience you can have. I agree with that. Yeah, there's yeah. so much that just isn't known until you get to meet different cultures or people and have different experiences. I think like you can get very caught in your own bubble. Yeah, and you can the the more you find out, the more you find in. 
because the more you discover about yourself. Yeah. It was so, it's actually so interesting how many countries are actually still like very traditional. And then, like, I just went to Europe recently, but went to the Amsterdam and Amsterdam is so advanced, like technologically. Yeah. Like, everything is like you can actually see the, you could see people with a chip in their hand just tapping in with their hand. And oh, wow. Oh, man. Like, you can just yeah. tap your card on everything and you yeah. can move. And I'm like, hey. oh. I want to actually quickly, if we have time, I'll go over these because I think you guys would love this. So these are my different ideas of what is going to happen for 2024 and beyond, right? Okay. Jake's prophecies. Here we go. I love it. Yeah, here we go. This is it. This is it. So uh, the first thing uh, in in the world of social media, I I think um, there's going to be an increase of BTS footage. So behind the scenes footage, there's been AI prompts from people using mid journey and stuff like this and having the super polished version of, you know, beautiful reels and B roll and everything else. But I think there's going to be a desire for human made content. So I think that's going to be something in 2024 and beyond. Okay. Which is kind of the antithesis of, um, AI. I think people are going to want to have more experiences where there's less tech and more touch. So in a world of high tech, we've lost high touch. And I think we need to equally have more human connection. Um, but on the flip side of that, I do think there's going to be more personalization through AI, through AI. So I think there's going to be the ability to have a almost self-curated journey <clears throat> through the advancements of AI and how um, beneficial that can be. Equally with the concept of people wanting a high touch um, experience, we've seen in the fitness industry, in the health industry, that we've gone from um, group fitness classes in person, then to one-on-one, then to one-on-one online, then to a one-to-many kind of model online. I think we're going to be seeing more and more of a many-to-many model. So for instance, with the Institute, we have a team of 12 teaching 180 different active students right now. A many-to-many model stops one person being the apex, the limitation, the glass roof of how people can experience it and the knowledge they can provide. A many-to-many model enables people to connect with different psychographics and different people and have a different level of experience. So I think that's going to be one thing. Biohacking implantables, which is the reason why I wanted to talk into this. We're going to see this rise more and more and more. So so with you bringing that up, I think it's a, a thing what we're definitely going to see. And whether or not I agree with that is a different thing. Um, I don't wear watches or aura rings. Yeah, for a reason. Uh, I believe in understanding the human body and feeling it more than um, being consumed by technology. Um, But on the flip side of that, I do think there's going to be an increased demand for biometrics because we saw people over fascinate with steps, then calories, and then tracking sleep, heart rate variability, blood work. And I think this is only ever going to grow and expand where people are valuing biometrics more. I think... There's going to be a hybrid gym membership model where uh, gym memberships will have their in-person usual thing, but there's equally going to be an online program, what they have access to an online community where it blends both worlds of here's the gym, here's the access to the gym, but equally there's online package here. I think there's going to be the rise of digital nomad retreats and uh, digital nomad retreats is Equally a byproduct from 2020 when people had locked down and they're working online, working from home, working from the laptop. I think there's going to be a growth of that. We're starting to see more and more of these things uh, occur. And this is where there's like um, the Bali time chamber, if any of you have seen that. Um, no. Yeah, it, it looks pretty cool. It's um, the, these, this group of guys which have built this uh, hot thing, this villa in the middle of nowhere where you disconnect from society so you can work on 
productivity and it's like product productivity meets wellness. We're going to see a lot more of, of those things. Um, and equally with the digital nomad retreats, we're going to see more of a rise with luxury wellness. So more bougie boutique wellness where people can actually have a, a, a luxury experience when they go to an ice bath and a sauna because um, some some of these ice baths, you jump in them and you look down, you just see fucking skin everywhere like it's confetti and the sauna stinks of old man balls and stuff like this. <laughs> um, so I think people would want a luxury experience of that. Yeah. I think there's actually a swing from, um, you know, 15 years ago, it was very bodybuilding. Then it was kind of CrossFit. Then it was a little bit calisthenics. I think we're going from one end of the pendulum all the way through to the other where it's going to be more focused on um, longevity and recovery. Yeah. And equally with that, I think it's actually going to be more about practicality because I think the industry has been um, far too obsessed with the small one percenters, the, the negligible differences, which consume people's reality and life and time and day from them. So just morning routines, which take three hours or two hours and, you know, you, you don't get anything done. I think there is definitely going to be this mass desire for that almost 80, 20 kind of thing where it's like 30 minute workouts and enjoying their life much more rather than being shackled by the confinements of what they believe to be true and having an orthorexic tendency for not only the food, but also the training. Mm. I think, um, psychedelics are also going to gain more popularity. We're seeing that more that. and more. Funny yeah, that. it's been calling me bad, and what and widely more accepted as well, and brought into like more clinical use. Maybe I don't know. Like I know that like there's some whether it's clinical use or not, but practitioners using it more and and things. Yeah, like that. Yeah, definitely. You know, like um, MDMA has been used for um, marriage counselling. Ketamine's being used because the NMDA receptors for associated to depression. We know that. 5-MeO DMT has been used in uh, US Special Force veterans. We know that um, things like LSD has also been used for certain things. So it, the MAPS Foundation and many other foundations have been popularizing that research, such as I think it's Berkeley Foundation or Berkey Foundation. I can't remember exactly. I think um, post-vaccine injuries are going to become more of an accepted topic of discussion rather than denial. Uh, I think um, transgender health is going to become a niche, actually. You know, because there's more and more people which are becoming transgender, inevitably that comes with a host of problems due to the introduction of a foreign hormone into their body and ways to cope and manage those side effects and symptoms. Can I jump um, in on that, mate? Yeah. Um, the big thing I'm seeing now is, you know, maybe I've been blind to it, but the amount of men that are on testosterone replacement therapy. Yes. Like young men. Loads. Loads. And I'm like, look, I, I, I sort of can understand like an older man doing it to keep up with his training and stuff like that. But like, we're talking men in their twenties and they're mm -hmm. just, and like, I actually, like I've, I've heard people try and like justify saying like, oh, you're doing yourself a disservice from not having it. And I'm like, hang on a second. I don't think you, we even have an understanding of what long-term use of TRT is. Exactly. Like. Yeah. So, um, I can speak from experience here because I was a bodybuilder in my young age. I was on anabolic steroids at the age of 17, 18. Mm -hmm. uh, I was injecting insulin and trend and growth hormone and everything you could imagine from, you know, 18 onwards. Um, so I can definitely speak from experience here. I think there's many different side effects to steroids. What people don't speak about. Number one, a lot of people are scared of seed oils, but yet 
a lot of the steroids what people buy aren't pharma grade the ugl underground labs and they're used with oils which people make in their kitchen so if we're worried about the sanitization the cleanliness and the oxidization of certain oils but yet we inject that into our body i think that's a huge problem i equally think with rancid oils or problematic oils that's going to create a huge problem for not only our nerve health which is um the malin chief's 80 percent fats but also our cellular membrane health which is something we, what we can't really effectively test right now because that's 95 percent uh fat i think equally with this it creates a level of um codependency for them to feel a sense of belonging and self-worth because they felt so insecure that they had to develop this exterior shell and armor of muscle because inside that they're just fucking weak most people i've met on anabolic steroids are fucking weak pussies internally and i can say that truthfully okay the reality is if you want to go through a rite of passage come off anabolic steroids don't run a pct and just fucking embrace the fire then you're worthy to go back on most people are dependent on their jab of 200 milligrams to 300 to 500 milligrams of testosterone to feel worthy so they don't have mood swings so they've got good energy so they don't have headaches so they've got good libido if that's the case you're codependent if you're codependent you're not in control if you're not in control you're weak so if you want to be on this shit, learn how to handle coming off and on without the reliance of running hmg hcg clomid or whatever other shit you want to put inside your body I think that's something what a lot of people need to hear. Um, yeah, I Big think there's mask. a massive rise in this. At the this. end of the day, it's a mask. Yeah. yeah, it is. It is. And the problem is we don't need more strength in muscle. We need more strength in our minds. And the reality is if you feel that you have to be on anabolic steroids to feel strong, it shows that you aren't strong enough already. And I don't give a fuck about your physical strength because that's not the fight what we're fighting in this day and age. We've evolved fat past punching people in war. We've got fucking guns. We've gone past guns. We've got nukes. Now it's psychological operational warfare. And the thing what they want most is your thoughts and your mind and your emotions. But yet you're displacing that for something which is vanity based, which really means fuck all. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, we went off. My job. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm quite passionate about it. I'm also quite opinionated. Um, Another thing, what we're going to see in 2024 is more results through experience. Yeah. So what I mean by that is like, think of how many fucking coaches, you know, yeah, yeah. fucking everyone's a fucking coach. Yeah. And all these coaches are doing nutrition plans, training programs, online communities, but it's not an experience. Yeah. And an experience is where you learn through experience, where you learn through connection, where you learn from one another and you build this kind of belonging rather than coaching. I think that's going to be something which is going to be um, far more popularized and, and far more desire. What might that could, look like? Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it could be like a biannual or quarterly experience, what people go to and meet up at. And maybe, yes, fair enough, there could be something like on the back end, there is a nutritional plan, a training program, what people adhere to. But I think the the high desire for high touch is going to bring people together where they can experience more of the world. I think that's going to be something which is going to be definitely valued. I think there's going to be the introduction of microplastic testing because we can see that so prominently from the sea, what we swim in, the water, what we drink through to certain foods, what we eat. I think that's going to become a very big hot topic. Um, I equally think that there's going to be gamification for health through uh, virtual health avatars such as with uh, Meta. And I equally think that there's possibly going to be gamification for health in smart cities, or at least the opportunity for people to do that. Um, because there is obviously going to be that integration of um, of the technology through to how we live. 
there's going to be a continued rise in childhood comorbidity due to poor quality food and child's becoming dependent on iPads to pacify them because parents can't parent anymore. Um, and mm, equally with that, there's going one. to pardon. But parents can't parent anymore. That's it. Yeah, well, they can't even parent themselves, right? That's that's mm-hmm. the reality. Most pe- most parents can't parent themselves, and yet they expect to parent a child. Mm, yeah, and I'm just firing shots now, but fuck it. No, it's uh, it's, it's true. Me and everyone have yeah. these conversations all the time. And look, I can understand the modern reality that we're in. That families are, you know, literally women are having to work now, and you know, the whole polarity of masculine and feminine is fucked because of the way the yeah. world. But if you if you really look at it though, um. You're exactly right. So many people don't know how to parent themselves. They operate from their childhood traumas and yeah. children. They can't self-regulate. They can't self-regulate their children mm. and pop it, or they don't have uh they have a neglectful parent basically, and then yeah, they're pacified through a through an iPad, as you said. But also, mate, like I am a parent and I I know what I, I like, I know that it's easy to hide. Yeah, it's easy to yeah. hide behind work. Mm. It's easy to put something in front of them and you know. You know, it, it can be really, really tough, and you can't. You're not really honest with yourself with the fact that you're hiding from being a parent, and that's what yep. you've got the ability now to put your kid in childcare five days a week. You know, mm-hmm. what I mean? like you can put an iPad in front of them, or you can put them in front of the TV, and they'll be entertained. I'm yep. un- un- not unfortunately. Fortunately for me, my son can't watch a TV for more than fifteen minutes, so yep. Yep. we are we are forced to get in the deep end. Com- comfortability is on tap. Like I, mm. I saw. Um, I went. I went down to a play center the other day, and I was with Mila, having having a good time. And they had a, a school school kind of um, camp function thing there. Anyway, um, there was about thirty kids there. I looked at all their lunch boxes on recess break. Guess what? What I saw? I didn't see a single piece of fruit. I didn't see a single piece of a whole food. Anything. It was mm. all ultra processed. And I'm telling you, I'm not. I'm not exaggerating. Every single lunch box, packets of chips, biscuits, Coke Zeros. Um, one kid had a big packet of fucking M and M's, and they're five years old. Like, wow. this is what's going on, right? Yeah. And you, you only have to sit back and go, well, fuck, no wonder the way things are, the way the way things are, the way they are. And mm. you also have to look at, as Mark was saying, that easy option, right? Like everything is on tap now. That is is the easy way out, and it's so far away from what it means to be a parent because. Stepping into parenting, you're stepping into the fucking ring of fire, like you said. It's sacrifice, and you got to put yourself fucking second most of the time. Mm. Yeah, and, and in my in my world, yeah. it's like if if you don't bring them up to be better than you, then you failed. Yeah, because then you've then you failed your ancestors because they've fought to fucking be where you are today. And if you're devolving your fucking ancestors, then that's a bit disrespectful in my book. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, just a couple more, couple more predictions, oh, man. Yeah, no, yeah, no, 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 yeah. All good. Um, smart tattoos. I think that's going to be one. What smart tattoos? What the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> so, so you, you know how we were talking about biometrics and implantables. Yep. I think smart tattoos will be able to tell you, you know, your blood glucose levels or things like this, or you, oh. and your ketone levels through color changes of the tattoo. Yeah. Yeah, and I think there's going to be smart nanotechnology in uh, certain sportswear as well, doing similar things. Yeah, fuck, mate. Um, I, I do a lot of thinking and not not much speaking, so I've got a lot of thoughts when I'm ready to speak. I know, man. <laughs> Is there more up there? Because we might have to come back for volume. <laughs> nah, there's, like, there's other, other, other than person. There's fucking. There's a whole new world. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When you when you speak to me outside of the realms of business and Instagram posts, there's there's a lot. Uh, there really is. There is a lot. There's a lot of. I've lived four different lives. 
by the age of 30 and I'm grateful for every single one of them. Love yeah. it, mate. Yeah. Hey, um, look, mate, I- I'm going to give you a big wrap at the end. Like, thanks so much for coming on. Um, yeah. It's been amazing. Uh you know, I, I said at the start, you're the founder of the Institute of Health. You've helped hundreds of um, health coaches become the, the best in the business. If you have a coach that is um, has been under the guidance of Jake, you've got a bloody good coach. Um, the other thing I want to say is that if there are any health coaches out there and like a big thing that I found in your business, which I struggle with, is learning how to run a business, running a health coach business is extremely difficult i think and you you put it together with um world-class actual health and well-being information so um, as well as business systems that, your your, yeah. your business systems are been the best i've ever learned it's been that, fucking exceptional that's yeah. been huge Thank you. yeah yeah Thank so, you. I, I really do appreciate it guys i, I really really do yeah, yeah. So thanks, mate. Um, mate, volume two, possibly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, I'm, I'm happy to jump on whenever, guys. You know, like, uh, uh, I think the world needs to know more about the stuff what we know, which we unfortunately don't have the opportunity to share. So I'm an open book as always. Uh, I will always sh- share my thoughts, um, share my opinions, whether or not they're accepted, whether people like me or hate me. Uh, I'm I'm content with who I am, where I am, and um, I'm I'm accepting of whatever may coming from it so yeah love it mate awesome thanks Thanks, thank you cool take care guys see you bye thanks for listening we hope this opened your mind to new possibilities in your journey if you want to follow on for more please subscribe and follow us on instagram at life athlete health and at coach jordan briggs and if you enjoyed the podcast please subscribe and leave a review we'll see you next time